Guten Tag, meine Freunde, and welcome to the Two Tongues Podcast. I am Kyle. And I'm Chris. And we are here today bringing you the latest episode in our On Totalitarianism series. Yeah, buddy. This week, we're going to be covering... Uh, why, why don't you give him his introduction, Chris? You, uh, you're you a little bit more familiar with this fella than I am. Mm, thank you, sir. All right, so we're, today we're going to... All right, so... Or a little bit earlier, we did a we did an episode called "Young on Totalitarianism," and the reason we thought it was interesting is because because Young is not known for his thoughts on political philosophy, but he had a whole bunch of interesting things to say about it, and so I, did. I thought we could spend an hour talking about that. Sure, and we did, and I thought it was good. Yeah, it was uh, that was one of my favorite episodes of this so far. Nice. Um, so, th- so I thought we'd just finish that same theme, and maybe we can maybe we can do more of these types, recurring types of things. Theme. Exactly. All right. So this will be Spinoza on totalitarianism. Baruch Spinoza. Yes, Baruch sir. Baruch Spinoza. Yeah. So, so that's interesting. Let's, we'll talk about his name first because I, at, when I first in, was introduced to this guy, thought that I might might have been confusing him with another philosopher, because uh, because Baruch Spinoza was, um, well, he was a, a Portuguese Jew. In the 1600s. Yep, not a good time to be a Jew. Not a good time to be a Jew. And uh, his family moved to um, Amsterdam, I think it was, mm-hmm. and he was born there. Um, oh, he was born in Amsterdam? He was born in Amsterdam. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yes, sir. Uh, so, the, the reason I, I bring this up is because people who were Jewish and who were persecuted where they were living and they were trying to get away from it would often change their names. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, um, Baruch is not his name. I, th- I don't know how to pronounce it, but I think it's Bento, B-E-N-T-O. I'm not a Hebrew. I'm sure there's a, there's Jewish people listening that are frowning right now. Baruch is not. Baruch is not his name. I thought, huh? That's interesting. Well, well, it's it's not the Hebrew name. And you know what? I don't. This is something that we we probably should should research. But I know that the Jewish people who that I know in the United States that are uh, that are traditional. Uh, and religious that they have a uh, they don't have a Christian name they, ha- they, ha- <laughs> they have an English name but they have a Hebrew name yeah so th- they'll always have another name that they go by for uh, in within their family and in, in sure. the church or in the in the synagogue sure so I was I'm just conf- I was just confused because I was under the impression that Baruch was his name his actual name because Baruch sounds v- very Hebrew to me yeah um, and then I thought he changed it to Benedict. Or Benedicto, well, or Benedictus, or something. Exactly. So this is this is exactly what I'm getting at. Okay. So you're right. So he was again. He was a Jewish guy um, who was who was writing philosophy in the 1600s in Northern Europe. Mm-hmm. And like any like anybody who was academic at the time, he Latinized his name. Mm-hmm. So Bento became Baruch, and Spinoza was, uh, or, or excuse me, Benedictus, not Baruch, um, was uh, Benedictus, and um, so there's all these names that were associated with them. Gotcha. Bento, Baruch, okay. Benedictus, Benedict, and um, De Spinoza, you know, is of Spinoza. Like, that's someplace he's from. Yeah. Um, I didn't look into that too deeply. Me neither. Uh, but I will say that um, his philosophy ruffled so many feathers. Oh, yeah. Even when he was um, relatively young, like... You know, back then people didn't live as long, so I have mm. to, you know, like, like I don't know how long. It seems to me like if you if you got to forty years old, yeah. you're probably an old man. No, see, that's not. I mean, who knows? But I've heard lots of people talk about this, and 
the reason that the averages skew younger back then is because more chi- more infants died like during childbirth. But oh. if once you became an adult, like lots of people lived to be like in into their seventies, eighties. That's interesting. I, I see. I I never thought that. I thought that you know back then sanitation was a problem mm-hmm. and you know nutrition was a problem and yeah. people were just dying left and right. Yeah, I'm sure there was some. You know, that seems realistic to me. I think that that probably did happen, but. The idea that there were no like seventy year olds back then, I don't think that's the truth. I oh, think that there were. Okay, know. so well, you know what, and I don't know what I don't know what the life expectancy was on average, but I know it's. I bet it's it was lower over time. It's getting yeah, getting, getting bigger uh, and bigger. From just off subject, but from what I understand, our generation is the first generation that can expect to not live longer. That's interesting. Scary. Yeah, we're moving the other way now. Yeah, gotta gotta get back on keto. <laughs> so, so, so the re- the reason I talk about uh, how young he was is because imagine this, he was 24 years old mm-hmm. when the Jewish um, community that he was a part of said, "We don't claim you anymore." We, yeah. we're, they basically excommunicated him, is what they did. Yeah. I don't know what the Jewish word for that is. I don't either. Um, but I mean, this is during the Spanish Inquisition. You know, yes. this is like a time where. You have to be careful with your ideas, you know, like, um, mm. you know, if you say the wrong thing, who knows what oh, yeah. is likely to happen to you? Bad, bad stuff was happening to people at, at this oh, point yeah. in time. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. He, Yeah. I mean, he was obviously a very brave and intrepid person intellectually. He, oh, yeah. He did not give a fuck. So, so, you know, the thing I like when I was reading about his history, mm-hmm. the thing I liked about it is that he was offered prestigious teaching jobs mm-hmm. and he turned them all down and worked a regular job his entire life. Yeah. And the stuff that he wrote was never for him, like maybe on purpose was never something that was done to elevate his position or his, you know, uh, lifestyle or anything. He wasn't doing it to make money. Mm-hmm. He wasn't doing it for fame. Uh, he did it because he believed it and was an intellectual and wanted to share that, that truth. Yep. And as a consequence, he got excommunicated from his, from his, you know, his, 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 um, uh, Jewish community. Yep. He lost all that structure and family and friends. Yeah. So from what I understand, he actually kind of kept his beliefs quiet when he was younger because his father was, you know, like, don't, don't embarrass mm. me, you know, then his father died and he got a little bit more wild, you know? Well, that's interesting. Cause I don't know if you read this when you were doing your research, but the book that he's famous for is called Ethics. Ethics. Yeah. Didn't get published till after he died. And, yeah, I did read about that. And I heard that he chose not to do it because of what we were just talking yeah. about, like the Inquisition type stuff. Mm. Um, and there's a story that I'm, I've got notes in here to talk about when we get to it. Um, you know, like I said, it, you have to put yourself into the position of somebody living during the Spanish Inquisition, mm. you know, like right now. I mean, I know things are getting a little hot under the collar for people who don't think the right things right now, but we're not putting anybody on gibbets and, you know, like flaying people or things like that. Give it give it a few months. Yeah, not not yet. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, he didn't release. It got released posthumously by his friends. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. It's pretty interesting. So. I do want to talk because all right, guys. Today we're talking about what Spinoza had to say about about government and politics because 
that was a minority of what he talked about. Just like we were talking when we were talking about Young, it's sort of like interesting that somebody who focused so much on something else, and in this case, it was God. That, mm-hmm. that it, it was a, like a religious philosophy. Yeah. Um, for someone like that to say anything at all about government or politics is kind of unusual. It, it strikes my interest. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk a lot about that, but I don't. I don't want to skip over the pantheism stuff. No. Um, do you want me to do that now, or it, no? I feel like we could do it now. I also feel like uh, down the road we're going to have maybe some pantheism, pandeism. Mm. I don't. I don't know what the difference between those things is. I think we should talk about that a little bit today. Okay. Because there is there are, there are ideas. Pantheism is one of them. Um, uh, a cosmism is another one, mm-hmm. and then. Um, uh, panpsychism is another one, and they're, to me, they're all very much the same. Yeah. So I, I, I want to talk about that a little bit, and maybe we can after we introduce the, the topic. Sure. So I'll, I'll jump in, and I, I, I want you to tell me your thoughts, but I have a couple quotes, so I want to read these. So uh, Baruch Spinoza was, again, he was a Jew, but he lived in a uh, in Christian Northern Europe, and so his his religious uh, upbringing was interesting. And um, his ideas about God don't line up with the Jewish tradition or the Christian tradition. Yeah, very far. And he, and he was sort of hated by, by both mm-hmm. for that reason. So to give you an idea of what he, what he believed, I have a, like four quotes that are very short, one sentence long. Um, so he said this. He said, The mind of God is all the mentality that is scattered over space and time, the diffused consciousness that animates the world. So... So that's one quote that that Spinoza uh, that 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 is on that topic and related related he says this there is but one substance in the universe mm. and by that he mean he by that substance he means God yeah um, and he he defines God as a substance with infinite attributes whatever whatever that means that that's what how he defined it mm-hmm. then the last thing I wanted to read is this he says we by we he means human beings. That we feel and experience ourselves to be eternal. Now, stop and think about that for just a second. We all we all know as human beings that we're going to die one day, and you and I aren't so old that we're we're knocking on that door. You might, I don't know. I'm not convinced. <laughs> but but don't but don't you feel like like I've never had any doubt that I'm going to wake up the next day. Yeah, um, I th- I think that's pretty safe to say. Like I know that I'm mortal. But I'm not sure that I feel mortal. I'll tell you this. Um, I don't know if this is spinning off into a, the wrong direction, but when I was young, when mm-hmm. I was a teenager and up into my 20s, I literally felt invincible. You know, like oh, I yeah. did, you know, I didn't ever think anything would go wrong with me health wise. Yep. You know, I just felt like every day I was going to pop out of bed and be totally fine. Yep. And now I do not feel that way, man. It, listen, anybody who's listening to this who's in their 20s, Strap in because yeah. what, what Kyle just said is legit. Yep. There comes a time when you're experiencing things yourself that you never imagined you'd experience, and a lot of it is pain and suffering that mm-hmm. has that has to do with getting older, and mm-hmm. not not just physical, psychological too. Sure. So there's some of that coming. You know, prepare prepare yourself for that. Yep. So this last quote though, I want I want to uh, read it again because there's a little bit more. He says that we feel and experience ourselves to be eternal, and then later on he defines what he means by eternity, and he says um, he says by eternity I mean existence itself. So I'll read that again and I'll replace th- that word. He says we feel and experience ourselves to be existence itself. Okay. So so what what I'm saying here is Spinoza believes that 
that everything is God, that the world is made of God, that we're all made of God, that we're God existing within God, that there is nothing else. God is the only substance that there is. That's what the cosmos is made of. Mm-hmm. Um, would you agree with that? Um, I mean, would I agree with it? I really don't know if I would agree with it, but that tends to be the line of thought that I associate myself with. Yeah. Well, um, I, I mean, would you, I meant, would you agree that that sums up Spinoza's? Oh, oh sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Good. Yeah, definitely. 100%. Uh, I do, I do think it more or less sums up how I feel about things. Oh too, yeah. So, well, this is, so this is what got me interested in Spinoza from the very beginning was that his ideas on God were so different from all the others I was hearing and they, they resonated with my feelings more than, than any of the others. So okay. even when I was young, like, like just starting college, let's say, was introduced to this guy. I felt like a little bit more. This guy was speaking my language, mm-hmm. um, and but he's he's not an easy guy to read. So yeah. I had I had a really hard time, and I, I've got his book sitting here. What is it, it with philosophers and that? Um, well, you know, why I, do they have to do that? So my instinct is to say philosophers of that time. But sure. as soon but as soon as I say that, then I think of somebody like Martin Heidegger. Sure. And, and if you've ever read Martin Heidegger. You know, he wrote in the in the he, he was a relatively modern guy. He wrote in like the 30s, 40s, 50s. That guy uh, is impossibly hard to read. Yeah, uh, I forget who the guy who wrote the book Simulation and Simulacra oh, is, yeah. but that's like what you know. Yeah, uh, really hard to read. So part of me thinks that it's a little bit of showboating. I do too. But I think that's more true now than it was when Spinoza in Spinoza's day. Sure. So in the 1600s, when you know when he's speaking, you know people, people's when they were writing. Let's say I don't know what they were like when they were speaking, but when they were writing back then, it was it was very carefully worded and yeah. beautiful. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, you know when you wrote a letter to somebody, it was a, it was a labor of love. It was an actual effort. Yeah. And you wanted to make it as beautiful and perfect as you can, and it was fancy and and on purpose because I think it was respectful to do that to just jot a little note to somebody was like so you don't take me seriously exactly yeah exactly yeah um i think that's that's a good point uh i also think uh to take it away from being just like a shallow you know what's the word that you used a second ago like vanity type of a thing Mm -hmm. i also think that when you're talking about really complicated ideas Sometimes you have to, like, I mean, it's like, why is the law written so in such a complicated manner? Yes. And some of that is just so that they can take advantage, I think, so they yep. can weasel around things. But I, I think another part of why the law is written so in such a complicated manner is that it's important stuff. You know, you yep. have to be very specific oh, and very yeah. careful. So I, I think there's a, there's a point in this conversation where we're going to focus on exactly that. Okay. Um, um, so I'll, maybe we'll maybe we'll get into that more when we get to that point because it, it has to do with um, what he talks about. I want I want to say mind control, but it's not mind control. It's the way he's talking about how government or how the state um, exerts yeah, exerts itself. What you're talking about, okay, yeah. so we'll 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 get there. Yep. Um, but so just building off this idea of of Spinoza's ideas about God being out there and people back in that particular time. It's not that they did disagreed with it. It's that it was, like you say, it was dangerous to even have those yeah. opinions, like yeah. life-threatening. Mm-hmm. And Spinoza said, he said two things. Uh, they were very similar, so I'll, I'll read the one. He says that I don't know how to teach philosophy without becoming a disturber of the peace. Mm-hmm. And that reminded me, when I read that, that reminded me of Socrates. Oh, yeah. You know, Socrates so, is definitely disturbing the peace. Yes. They, they, what did they say about Socrates? He, corrupting the youth. 
That's, yeah. what, that's what they said of Socrates. Oh, yeah. So Socrates was killed by the government for corrupting the youth. And what he did to be accused of uh, corrupting the youth was speaking philosophy publicly to people who would listen. And some of them were the up-and-coming generations that were, that were seeking knowledge. Yeah. And what Socrates did was ask questions. He, mm-hmm. did, he didn't even tell them anything. Yeah. He just said, oh, you think you know what beauty is? Tell me what it is. Mm-hmm. And when they couldn't do it, he said, look, we're, we're, we're ignorant. There's so much mystery. We think we know things we don't really know. Open your eyes. And yeah. they were like, off with his head. Yeah, let's, yeah. Get, let's get rid of that motherfucker. Yeah, got that nightshade out. Anything else about Spinoza that you found interesting when you were doing research? Um, you know, I, I think the fact that he is a lens grinder yes. during the scientific revolution, that's interesting. You know, he's doing some very, very important thing for this very, very important movement that's happening at the time. Yes. That's interesting and cool. Um, I also think it's interesting that a lot of people think that that killed him, you know, yes. grinding that glass dust and inhaling it, that he died from a lung kit because he died at like 44. Yes. So, so excommunicated by the church at 24, dead at 44, you know, and his philosophy wasn't published till after that, mm-hmm. but you're right. Um, you're right. He, he was grinding glass lenses to make telescopes. Yeah. Um, and it was in the early days and there was very few people who had that skill. Yeah. And he was actually buddies. I don't know if buddies is the right word, but he was associated with uh, Gottfried Leibniz. And Leibniz was um, right there with Newton as one of those early, um, you know, uh, astronomers that were using telescopes, that were developing math and philosophy. So Spinoza and Leibniz were um, contemporary. Yes. Um, Descartes was before them, right? Ooh, I believe so. I think so, too. I I mean, we don't have to check or anything, but, you know. Uh, I well, think he, he was yes, before. He, he, he was because because Spinoza specifically talks about um, uh, Francis Bacon and oh, and Rene Descartes. Gotcha. And he specifically criticizes their philosophy, so they were before Spinoza. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. Um, another thing that I think is interesting is the people who were in charge. I don't even know who these people were, but uh, I, I read that whoever was in charge offered Spinoza a thousand whatever units of money they had back then. A thousand monies. Yep. A thousand, yes, a thousand monies, uh, a thousand ancient Bitcoins mm-hmm. to uh, keep his mouth shut, basically. Wow. Yeah, and that was a lot of money. Oh, yeah. So. Interesting. That's it's very interesting. Imagine, like, the, the G-men in the suits kick in the door right now, and they're like, Kyle and Chris, we'll give you $100,000 a month to, never to hear, just not do this podcast anymore. You'd never hear from me again. Yeah, God. we would disappear for sure. <laughs> I don't. I'm not. I'm not the man Spinoza was. That's true, man. Spinoza was interesting. He was. He, I mean, that's one of the main things that I've taken from this because we're talking about government and things like mm-hmm. that. He had balls, man. Balls. And I'm kind of surprised that he didn't publish, you know, the Ethica until he and you know he let his friends do it after he yeah. died. Yeah. Um. But. Can you, you know. can you imagine being um, living in a country? You're a foreigner to a country. Imagine you're imagine you're a foreigner living in another country. The people don't share your family's background, language, or religion, mm-hmm. and you and you you sit there and criticize all of it. Like, yeah, like you guys are all stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, before we get past the Leibniz thing, mm-hmm. um, that was an interesting thing I came across was that Spinoza and Leibniz had a meeting, mm-hmm. and apparently that was very rare. Back in, back in those days, for these thinkers to get together and share their thoughts like that because they were competitive with each other and because they wanted to publish before the other person published. Yeah. And that, and in fact, 
Leibniz and Newton both invented calculus at, you know, they both independently, in, independently invented yeah. calculus and Newton gets credit for it, but they both, they both in, invented it. And the reason I bring that up is because Spinoza, um, again, met with Leibniz. They kind of had a meeting of the minds, sharing their thoughts with each other, which was very unusual. Mm-hmm. And Spinoza, when, if you read the ethics, he structures his philosophy as though it were a math problem. Yeah, I see. I heard a lot about that when I was doing my research. I don't really understand what it means. I mean, I have some vague idea, but I don't really know what it means. So really, really vaguely, I'll tell you, he every chapter starts with propositions. Mm-hmm. And he when he describes it, he says, I'm going to give you proposition. I'm going to talk to you about about like logical propositions in the same way that I talk about lines and planes and angles. And, uh-huh. and so when he gives a proposition, he'll say, um, you know, th- this this statement is true because of this. And then the next one will be, if that's true, then this must be true. And if that's, if those two things are true, then this other thing must be true. Gotcha. And he builds on them and builds on them and builds I on see. them. Yeah. One of the quotes that I saw from him, uh, in the letter that I was actually talking to you about, he was talking about this guy was telling him why he should be a Christian. And, uh, Spinoza responded and said, you ask me how I know that my philosophy is the best that's ever been developed. Um, and basically he was saying, I know it in the same way that, you know, that all of the angles in a triangle equal 180 yes. degrees. So, yes. Yeah. And that's really interesting because this, this was at a time where, um, I don't know that, I mean, religion was still basically ruling the world. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the Catholic church was still the, the power in Europe and all that sort of thing, yep. but it was, but it was starting to wane. Yeah. So the, and I think that the church was, was panicking during, sure. during the enlightenment. Sure. Wondering what, what, what was going to happen with it? Well, Oh no, you're good. I was just going to say, I like to imagine the church feels the same way that the state does now. I hope that's, Ooh. I hope that's how it goes. <laughs> I like but, that. Yeah. And, and so, and Spinoza was just another knife in the back of, of the church and they were yep. already bleeding and crippled. Yep. Um, go ahead. Do you have something? No, no. Right. Just, I don't, okay. I don't, I don't want to, uh, dive too deep in. Um, but there was a couple things that I thought, uh, we could talk about before we jump into the material. Sure. Um, one of the things, one of the things that I noticed was that Spinoza talked a lot about superstition. Okay. And he talked about it in, in a religious way. But if you, if you read the quotes where he talks about superstition, what he means by that is, like blind obedience to tradition or authority. Yeah. So in his world, that was the church mm-hmm. or, or, you know, the Jewish community or the church. And, uh, and today it's, it's the government and, uh, you know, it's, it's, we have a different, um, problem with the blind obedience, with the unexamined obedience to authority. Yeah. It's not the church anymore, but it's still relevant. Absolutely. Absolutely relevant. I, I mean, this has been a running theme since we started this podcast for me, uh, is that it basically is a religion. The state basically is a church mm. at this point. So I, I really think it's like, you know, they're laying right on top of each other. It, it charts across yeah. each other perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like they just ch- changed the name, Yep. you know, and, and it happens so often uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, we just change the language and pretend that, that it's something new yeah. and it's not. Yeah. Spinoza, I know was a big influence on Nietzsche and, you know, Nietzsche was kind of the same way. It's like, you know, I, we've talked about the God is dead thing. I read it in that one episode I did the solo episode and, you know, Nietzsche was a big opponent of Christianity and religions. What, you know, 
a lot of what he calls true world theories, Nietzsche, that's what he calls it. Uh, any religion, anything that um, basically promises that there's some world outside of this one that mm. if you're behaved, you get to go to. Yep. Um, and, you know, he had a, a lot of problems with that kind of stuff, like dogmatic Christianity. Yes. Nietzsche hated that kind of stuff. Yes. But, I mean, going back to that God is dead quote, he obviously thought that we needed something there, you know? Yes. So I, I get kind of the same vibe from Spinoza. I agree. And it makes sense that Spinoza was a big influence on Nietzsche. Absolutely. So. I agree. So there's one thing, oh, as far as that superstition quote, I'll, I'll read it for you. He basically just says superstition is the bitter enemy of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So this was something he was fighting against. And I think it, I think it makes sense coming coming from the, the place that he came from in history and in and, and, and the world sure. that he would have that opinion. I think it's interesting because of what's going on currently. And my note that I have there for that superstition quote is uh, that superstition is based in fear, you know? Yes. It's like, yes. And people don't want to change when they're afraid. People don't want, they want normal, they want safe. Yep. Um, and I just look at what's going on and what's gone on through history is that these people who are in power make people afraid. They yes. find ways to make people afraid. Oh yeah. What for, whether it's for a good reason or not. Yep. I'm not saying that there haven't been good reasons to be afraid throughout history, but most of the time it's from the state. It's from the know. state. What, so, what, I mean, uh, I could ask every single person on this that's listening to this podcast right now, you flip on the news, what's the state of fear today? Well, we all know what's happening today. It's COVID. Yep. It's not just COVID. It's the new strain of COVID. Yeah, you're going to get the cough. It's not just the new strain of COVID. It's the third strain of COVID. Mm -hmm. It has all these other attributes. This one's from Brazil. Ooh. So, and by the way, the second the second shot might actually kill you. Yeah. The, second, the second vaccine, you know, so fear, 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 fucking fear. Yes, indeed. Um, I do want to ask you about this. There was a whole bunch that I have not really read deeply uh, that Spinoza talks about understanding. Okay. And he says, to understand is to be free. Mm -hmm. And he also says, not to weep or to wax indignant, but instead to understand. Mm -hmm. So he's saying, it, you know, I, I don't know what the context is. It's a little bit of out of context from the quotes. There was tons of these quotes about understanding. And, uh, and what I, when I read that, to me it sounds like if something happens in your life that, um, that disturbs you to the point of weeping or becoming indignant, that instead of feeling that way, instead of allowing yourself to, to become sadness or, you know, that what you should do instead is to take a step back and try to understand. And if you do that, that you will be free from the burden of those emotions. That makes sense. Uh, I was reading that quote and I, like, like you were saying, I didn't really know the context. So I was wondering what that may have been about. Um, what I kept going back to with that is, you know, we've talked a lot about perception and how much I constantly wonder how much of this, even if, you know, God clicked his fingers and made me understand how much am I capable of understanding with mm. this human brain, you know? Yep. And he says to understand is to be free. If we're not capable of understanding, are we not capable of being free? That's interesting. So I, I would say that our understanding has grown tremendously sure. over the generations. So you might say that there, there comes a, there come. You might say that historically we're, we were somehow enslaved to our um, ignorance yeah. somehow. Yeah. And that there's a time, a point of development where we become free from that. Yeah. Whether we've reached that yet or not is anybody's guess. I think we're enslaved to, you know, we're not enslaved in the same ways that the hunter-gatherers were a thousand years ago. 
but we're enslaved to a bunch of different stuff now that maybe if we could just grab some understanding on it, we mm. would be able to toss those those shackles off. But that's a, that's a good that's a good way of putting it. So we're we're not enslaved to to hunger and warmth. Mm. We're we're not enslaved to the necessities of like self preservation, yeah, like a caveman. We're enslaved to way worse shit at this point. Way more insidious. Way shit. more van, like just vain. You know. Oh yeah. Nothing. Like, at, I don't know. At least, at least, if I was a slave to to hunger and had to feed myself, that I would have every every time I had a successful hunt, I would have some sort of uh, some sort of um, satisfaction. Yeah, we don't we don't even get that. You anymore. get some kind of purpose. You know, it's like, what well, what am I doing today? I'm surviving. You know, surviving. I'm going out there. I'm getting an elk. You know, <laughs> uh, whereas with me, it's like I wake up and it's like, I wonder how many, how many downloads we got on the podcast, you know? Yeah. yeah. Just, you know, it's bad. I guess it's good. It's better than nothing, but hey, I, I did. I want to get an elk. That's my point. <laughs> I did hear you give a shout out to that listener in Germany. Yeah. Uh, again, whether that was a VPN redirection, I don't know, but we do have some UK listeners yeah, now. So we have some Australia listeners we too. Do. Yeah. All right. Well, good day. New mate. South Wales. That's uh, the Guten Tag. That's uh, I did in the beginning. That was, that was for the German guy. That's, uh, that's for Hans. That's Hans, what I like to imagine yeah. his name is. I like to, I like to think it's Wilhelm. Hans Wilhelm. Oh, that's probably, that's him. Is. I'm yeah. su- I'm surprised you've made contact with him apparently. <laughs> so Kyle, do you, is there anything else in general about Spinoza that you want to talk about or do you want to dive into the material? Um, I mean, are we going to cover the, the notes that we got here? The, uh, so this first thing that you've got here, you've got Spinozaisms. Yep. And I've been going around all week pronouncing it Spinothisms just because, I don't know, it's like, I, like uh, it. I just like to talk with a list sometimes. But uh, so we've got, are we going to cover anything else here? Uh, well, you know, I, I thought we did, but I guess we missed two of them. So yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you, man. Go, go with it. Um. So we did the, okay, men are mistaken in thinking themselves free. Their opinion is made up of consciousness of their own actions and ignorance of the causes by which they are determined. So I read this quote, and to me, that sounded like Spinoza does not believe in free will. Yep. Uh, And that is something that I wrestle with a little bit because on some level, I don't think that free will makes sense. Yep. Um, but I think a lot of people, they hear we don't have free will and they imagine that that means that we're like robots or something, yep. you know? Yep. And it's like kind of, you know, a lot of people have this very simple idea of what God is. And I think a lot of people have a very simple idea of what free will is too. Oh, yeah. Um, so, good. Oh, no, I was just going to say, as far as free will goes, I have an interesting thought. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to like articulate it very well if I try it off the top of my head, but I can, I can try. So, Coming from the perspective of Spinoza, who believes that there, that there's only God, that nothing exists but God, mm-hmm. um, that free will. So imagine imagine this: people who don't believe in free will, um, they're usually called determinists. Mm-hmm. So those people are the ones that say, you know, everything that's happened to you in your life um, predicts what you will do. Like all of your experiences, your your DNA and your life experiences. Um, are all are all accumulating to make your decisions a foregone conclusion. So somebody who, let's say, grew up in poverty, had an abusive stepfather, you know, uh, you know, had a rough rough uh, childhood, all that sort of thing, that that person is not responsible for the murder. 
because he didn't have a choice. Yeah. Because his life experience led up to that. And when that moment came for him to make the decision, he could not have acted any other way. Sure. That's what a determinist would say. Mm-hmm. So, so check this out. Imagine if everything is God, like Spinoza says, um, then you and I are, are God. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like uh, the universe evolved you and I to now continue the work of the universe. Yeah. So anything that I do, even, even if I don't actually have a choice is determined by the universe mm-hmm. and I, you and I are the universe, right? So, so, yeah. we're, so we're, we're, even if we don't have a choice, we're God making the decision for God. So that's how Spinoza, I think how Spinoza would look at free will. It's like, it doesn't matter if I didn't actually have a choice, whatever I did was the action of God. Yeah. How is that not a free act? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's interesting because, like I said, I do wrestle with Russell. I do wrestle with the free will thing because I, I think I don't know. I, there's just a big part of me that wants to believe in free will. Um, but yeah. intellectually, when I think about it, I think that it's hard to justify. But what you just said, I like. I mean, yeah. that's kind of like a, a way to get around it a little bit. I think it is. Yeah, I think it is a way to get around it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, man, like the, the normal philosophical argument here is like, imagine yourself in any position where you're making a decision that everything that leads up to that decision, it might persuade you one way or the other. You might be like way more likely to act this way rather than that way. But when the time comes in that moment of making the decision, do you feel as though you have, you can arbitrarily choose one or the other. Sure. And every single person that I've ever met would say yes to that question. Yeah. And that's why you resist so heavily the idea that free will doesn't yeah, exist. Because yeah. it doesn't freaking feel like that's the case. Yep. Um, so the only other thing I have written here for that is kind of in reference to the under, to understand is to be free quote. Mm-hmm. And it's to understand all of that about free will. Mm-hmm. Does that give you some kind of freedom? Ooh, I like that. I like that. Because like if you have this idea that your will is molded by a lot of other things. Does that give you some kind of control? Does that be like, okay, well, maybe I can take myself out of it a little bit because I'm aware. I don't know. Yeah, so, you know, I think there's two types of reactions to that. The first one is like a little bit of an immature one. It's the people that say, well, look, if I'm convinced that free will doesn't exist, then I'm going to do whatever I want, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to have any considerations because it doesn't matter anyway. You know, my choices aren't my choices. Yep. Um, and the other side of that coin is what I think Spinoza might do and that is to take like um, satisfaction from the idea that even if my choices are predetermined my choices are, are the choices of God yeah that that kind of makes free will uh, the idea of free will like irrelevant yeah it's like if my actions are the actions of the of the fucking cosmos the, the structure of being yep. then you know there really there really aren't choices there it's yeah. the it's the the will of God let's yep. say all right. Yep. Um, what's up? Oh, any, anything else on this? Just this last quote. I don't even oh, have much yeah. on it, but no matter how thin you slice it, there will always be two sides. I love that. That just reminds me of a lot of what's going on today, you know, and I, I just wrote here, stop trying to eradicate each other because you will lose. Like it's yes. like you'll kill or do whatever you're going to do to all of these people that you hate. But then the group that you have left is going to split down the middle and then you're going to kill, you know, mm. it's uh, it's never ending. There will always be two sides. You will always 
find something to disagree with your neighbor about. I, I love that. And the, uh, the other thing I think about that is, he says, again, there's always going to be two slides, no matter how thin one of those slices mm-hmm. are. So like right now, in today's day and age, um, the quote-unquote conservative perspective sure. is of a very, very thin slice now. Yeah. The rest of the apple is the, is the liberal progressive apple. And we just have a little, a little, a little slice of this conservative opinion. See, I kind of visualize that a different way. I imagine you t- you take that apple and you slice it paper thin, right? Mm-hmm. And then you've got the left side over here, and you've got the right side over of here. Everything. And there's just nothing in between. You know, uh, like yeah. there's like it's only you, you know. I think about the Republican and the Democrat Party today. There's not a whole lot of difference, you know, like they, it's all big government spending. It's just, where's it going to go to is maybe a little bit different. Right. They're all about the, are all about the wars, all about all of it. You right. know, yep. there's not a whole lot of difference. So it's, it's sliced very thin. Yeah. No, no. I, I like that too. But they're still, like you said, they're still arguing. They're still finding, you know. Yep. Well, I, I'd like the, the point you made earlier better that, that, um, that you can't eliminate the one side. Yeah. So, e- so even if, even if, let's say that the liberal media s- completely succeeds in overturning the last bastions of of other opinions, mm-hmm. and Fox News and OAN and Newsmax go away and all that sort of thing, and there literally is no mainstream conservative opinion, even if you could succeed in abolishing that, it didn't go away. No. It's still there. Yep. And I love that. So that's a message to to the world at large that to all you fools trying to silence me (laughs) (laughs) that even even if you can succeed in doing that those ideas are still there and they will they will spring up when you where you know where you least expect it as soon as you let your guard down you're not you're not getting rid of them they're part of you yep that's right all right that's all i got on that cool beans all right kyle what did you have on this we had a couple of points because all right listen and we have so much going on right now with law and order uh, and the police mm-hmm. that um, I thought pulling some of his quotes about law were worth talking about. Yeah. So what did you have on these? Go ahead. So, I mean, I'll just read this first quote here. He who seeks to regulate everything by law is more likely to arouse vices than to reform them. Mm-hmm. It is best to grant what cannot be abolished, even though it be harmful. So yep. that's uh you know that just calls to mind things like prohibition yes. the war on drugs and I think the key part is there is what cannot be abolished and what can be abolished like this this group of people who calls them that we call the state what do they have the power to snap their fingers and get rid of completely that's a great question nothing you know, if you tell me anything, I'm, if you tell me I'm not allowed to have anything, I'm going to find a way to have it, whether you say I can or not. Exactly. So I'm yeah. with you. I'm with you. I, I like this quote. I, I think it, my, my mind goes immediately to prohibition and the war on drugs as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm with you there. Um, you know, you're, you're going to create, you know, a black market. You're going oh, to, yeah. you're going to create an underground you know, a resistance yep. um, that trying to regulate by law is a very precarious thing. Mm-hmm. And it only works when everybody agrees. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, go ahead. There's, there's more we can, we can talk I about. Mean, he says that even though it be harmful, and I just think that whether you're talking about harmful to the individual or harmful to the collective, regardless, it's better just to leave it alone. Because if it's harmful to the individual... You know, it's maybe it's sad, but if the guy, 
if you if you legalize heroin and this guy overdoses on heroin, that is sad for his family and you know. Yeah. But in the grand scheme of things, it's better for everyone than than what we're doing. And even if it is, and this is the one that the state really likes to crack down on is when it's bad for the collective. Mm. But when I say collective, basically I just mean bad for the state. Mm. Um, but I even think that it would be better for the state to turn a, turn a blind eye to things that they can't do because what do they end up doing? They end up making people like me hate them, you know? You're right. So it would be better for them just to ignore it, just to let people do what they're going to do. I, I, I agree. Do you, do you think that this that this remark about uh, allowing people to do what can't be abolished, uh, even if even if it be harmful, that that kind of rings of libertarian philosophy? Oh yeah, for sure. So so maybe maybe Spinoza was an OG libertarian. I don't he, know. It might may have been yeah, like the first libertarian. Although I'm sure there's libertarian ideas kind of have been popping up throughout philosophy since oh, there's yeah. been philosophy, but, but they're coming out of his mouth too. Yeah, for sure. All right, so there's a couple others that go along with this, Kyle. The, the next one goes like this. He who tries to determine everything by law will foment crime rather than lessen it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of the same, the kind same, of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just think that the obvious moral laws, like don't kill, don't steal, all of that kind of stuff, maybe that needs to be taught on some level when you're a kid. Maybe, but... Once you know it, you don't really need it hammered into you anymore, yeah. you know? And a lot of that stuff, when you've got people creating laws, it's just like they're kind of making things up and like, <laughs> you know, like causing restrictions for people that don't need to be there. Um, yep. And it just, it's making things, it, what am I trying to say here? It's like, um, you know, one minute you you had this behavior that wasn't hurting anybody and it wasn't a crime. And then you had some guy decide this is going to be a crime now. And now it's, mm. you know, um, so it is like there was no crime and now there is crime. So, oh, yes, yeah, you know, you're, you're creating it. You're yes. literally creating the crime. Interesting. So, yeah, you're right. You're right. Think about high crime rates. Mm-hmm. Well, just get rid of the crime. Get rid of those laws that aren't, you know, that aren't hurting other people and then boom your crime rates are cut in half it's like a it's like you're you're creating an industry it's like oh yeah it's, it's like the way i kind of view um a lot of government it's mm-hmm. like you know it exists to do a job that didn't exist till the government invented it yep absolutely <laughs> you know it's some, some keynesian bullshit right uh, there all right and the last quote on the same topic uh probably the best one it is certain that seditions wars and contempt of the laws are not so much to be imputed to the wickedness of the subjects, but to the bad state of the dominion. Yep. Uh, that's, w- here we are. That's where we are right now. So That's where we are. Yep. Yep. I mean, you, seditions, wars, and contempt of the laws, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, when you say something like defund the police, that's that's synonymous for you know contempt of the law. That, sure. That's that's the definition of contempt. Of Absolutely. The law. You think about sedition. You think about these people trying to cook up plots to kidnap governors and mm. stuff like that. I mean, or the insurgency. Don't forget about that. Uh, yeah, the insurrection. Oh, the insurrection. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me. Excuse the me. insurrection that had no guns. Oh. So yeah. Um, and, and I do think in, in this oh. it says. 
What's up? Oh, I'm sorry, man. I just, oh, you're good. I, I was just watching a little clip of the news this morning, and they, they were talking about this crisis on the border uh, with with, uh, with migrants coming from the southern border, and then Biden, you know, that what, what Biden, is Biden doing the right thing? What is it? What all that kind of stuff? Yeah. And they said that the White House refused to call it a crisis. They wouldn't use the word crisis, but had no problem calling what happened at the, at the Capitol an insurrection. Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't. They wouldn't call this a crisis. It's like. With this Biden stuff, it's like they're almost, I don't know, man. I feel like there's a glitch in the matrix or something, and they want people to see how full of shit they are. Because you remember when Trump got in, there was that whole migrant caravan that, you know, oh, yeah. he was like, but well, they're never getting in, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is down there, like, crying, you, oh, you know, yeah. with, with her makeup perfectly done and her just outfit looking great, crying into her hands. Um, and now we've got the same thing. We've got this migrant caravan coming, you know, from Central America up to us. And the media is not covering it like they were. It's not the same thing at all. Mm. But it's the same thing. It's like the, the exact same, same thing. It's the same thing. It's it, so f- annoying. Isn't it amazing how somebody decides what to pay attention to and what not, and somebody decides what words to use to frame it. Mm-hmm. And, and depending on what you choose to highlight and how you choose to frame it, it, it's a completely different discussion. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's what we're seeing. Yep. Uh, but the only other thing I have written for that last law enforcement quote is, um, it says here that, what, where is it? Uh, not so much imputed to the wickedness of the subjects. And that is 100% what they're trying to put it on right now. Oh yeah. It's all of these evil, racist, white nationalist, white supremacists. Uh, it's all these, transphobes it's all of our wickedness that is causing mm. the problem Kyle how many how many people in our 35 years on this earth how many people do you think we've met oh god a lot I don't know I, how mean, to, I don't know how to estimate a lot less than some people but yeah but probably it would be fair to say tens of thousands yeah I think that's probably safe. people you've met acquaintances people mm-hmm. you've spoken to on the you know street former co-workers all that stuff. yeah how many of those people were white nationalists or extreme racists if they were, they did. They hit it pretty well. I can't. I can't say that I've that I've met a single one. Yeah. But they're. But but according to the public narrative, they're fucking dragging this country down. Yeah. Um. I mean, I've met people who said things that were maybe not so nice about black people or something like yeah. that. Um. But it's funny that a lot of those people who have said things that are maybe not so nice about black people, they would also not kill a black person or steal from a black person um so i yeah i mean it's all obviously just a farce but um but there's enough people that that believe it that that's the baffling thing to me like 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 you were saying earlier that it's so it's so obviously um bullshit uh, that it seems it seems like they want people to to spot it to call it out to call it out um but nobody's doing that yeah. And instead, people just continue to buy it. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, are they trying to see how far they can push it? Are they trying to see at what point are people finally going to say, you know, enough's enough? And by then, they've grabbed as much power as they want. Like, you know, whatever it is they're trying to accomplish, that they're going to be able to, they're going to be able to push on, on, on the, weak, the weaknesses of the people uh, until they get pushback. And I'm not seeing any pushback. Yeah, I the the level of pushback really has been concerning to me over this whole COVID thing. Um, from day one, you know, when the when it first came out, I was maybe a little concerned that there's some virus because 
a virus, a very bad virus is a definite possibility, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I was maybe a little cautious, but pretty quickly I'm like, this does not seem to be as bad as they want me to believe it is. And like pretty much from, from jump street, I've been like, this is fucked up what they're doing. Oh yeah. Um, the lockdowns where, where exactly in the constitution does it tell me that Mike DeWine is allowed to tell me that I'm essential and that I have to stay at home if I'm not, um, nowhere. Yeah. And I would like to see more resistance, but I also think, I do think that with the modern like exchange of information and how quickly it can be done and how hard it is to censor that, not that they're not trying. Uh, I do think that things are maybe going to get better. I mean, I think that they're probably going to get worse before they get better, but, uh, I don't know. I try to be optimistic. That's my point. Let me, let me ask you something. I I don't want to derail because we're getting ready to get into the good stuff, Mm -hmm. but I do want to ask you, um, because you follow, you follow the news more than me. Um, what, what's going on with uh, Como right now? Yeah, that that. So so this is how I see it, um, and I don't know everything, but I, I know that there was some there was some really legitimately bad stuff to do with putting COVID patients in the nursing homes and the deaths that arose from there, and he being in charge having having some uh, having some responsibility for that. And then there was talk about that being a serious thing, and it is, of course. Mm-hmm. And then we stopped hearing about it, and now we're hearing about nothing but these sexual allegations against him. And what we're seeing is the left that he's a part of, mm-hmm. and a public part of, that the left is now going after him the same way they did recently with lots of other people that, with similar allegations, but that we see the left cannibalizing itself. Maybe this is strategic. It probably is, Mm -hmm. but that you see it starting to come back against them, even though the left has been doing this primarily to conservatives over the last couple of years. Now we're starting to see it kind of, it's coming back on them. And I don't know if that is what's happening or if if that's what I'm supposed to think is happening. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say it's, uh, I really do think that the allegations of the nursing home stuff is much worse, right. you know. Um, I really don't know too much of the details of what's going on with these sexual misconduct allegations. Um, you know, I know that there have been, you know, supposedly a lot of or a few uh, reputable accusations. Mm-hmm. Reputable, you know what I'm, yeah, believable, yeah. whatever. Yep. Um, but it, I just think it's interesting how the left is turning on him. Uh, and I do wonder what that's about, you know, like did, what did he do wrong? Um, so, well, and that's, that's just it. It's like the fact that he's not resigning, he's saying, I won't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes me think that either, uh, the left wants to be able to show the public that they went after even their own people when they're, when they're stepping on, you know, over the line. Mm-hmm. And so that they're the honorable party, like they, they're, they're wanting us to know this ahead of the next upcoming elections, that they're the ones that are willing to go after their, their own party members yeah. if they step over the line. I think it's particularly interesting because Cuomo was kind of like the big dog, you know, like right. they kind of were talking about him like, you know, if Joe, if Joe Biden's health deteriorates, we'll put Cuomo in there, yeah. you know, like uh, people really liked him. I never really understood the uh, the fascination with Cuomo, but honestly, I think Cuomo may have been a better choice than Biden, even with <laughs> this shit. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I do think it's interesting how... You know, he's getting shit for this stuff with the sexual misconduct allegations, but is he getting the same level of shit that Donald Trump would have gotten? Oh, no way. No, not even close. And not, not only that, but all of the attention giving him shit about 
sexual allegations has taken all mm-hmm. of the of the attention away from the what you and I just the said is the, the more thing. significant problem. Yeah. So I think there's two things going on, or maybe. And and this, you know, we talked about all being conspiracy theorists now, and I feel that way right now mm-hmm. when I'm saying that for the left to go after him puts them in a position to use that um, against the right yeah. when the next elections come around. They're playing 4D chess over here. Yes, they are. Yeah. At the same time, they're they're diverting attention away from something that they don't seem to want people to be paying attention to. Yeah. And I say they only because the media is largely controlled by uh, liberal uh, owners and uh, shareholders and all that. Yeah. And um, they're controlling those messages. So I think another part of why the nursing home thing doesn't didn't get covered as much and is still not getting covered is because he was like the liberal hero at the time, you know, and they had an interest in perpetuating that what they were doing for COVID was good. Like they weren't making any mistakes. Everything they were doing was fine and, and the best for the nation. And in New York more than anywhere else. Yeah. Cause they got it worse than anywhere else. I mean, they held him up like he was doing some great job. He did the worst job out of anybody. They had that, they had that big, that big boat there, that medical boat. That yeah. they, they didn't end up didn't using use it all, but they stuck those people back in the nursing homes to kill everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, New York is just such a shit show. Uh, you know, it, it's like, it's completely run by goofballs. There, is there anybody with any, but any sense in a position of leadership in New York? I don't think so. I don't it's know. all Cuomo and Bill de Blasio, who is e- an even bigger goofball. Uh, I, that Bill de Blasio dude drives me nuts, but Okay. Yeah, I, I don't really know All what's right. going on in the New York thing. We're going to take this detour right back around to where we started. Yep. And what, Kyle, what, of all the things that Mr. Spinoza had to say about God, he had a, he had time in his busy, productive life to criticize the state a little bit. What did Mr. Spinoza have to say? Um, fuck the state, basically. Fuck the fuck state. Fuck the state. Oh. Uh, so, you know, but, uh, we got a couple of quotes here. Uh, you want to just take, a take some turns reading them? Yeah, I like the first one I think to, to start with. So if you want it, you can have it or I'll take it. You read it. All right, here we go. So Spinoza says this, he says the greatest secret of monarchic rule, the supreme mystery of despotism is to keep men deceived and to cloak in the spacious name of religion, the fear by which they must be checked so that they will fight for slavery as they would for salvation and will think it not shameful, but a most honorable achievement to give their life and blood that one man may have a ground for boasting. Yeah. Boom. Yes. I mean, that's like a, it's weird to me how much the, the crossover of religion and state just, constantly keeps coming back up you know yes it's an interesting thing uh it's almost like this has happened before or something so i i, I want to make one clarification because i don't have a lot of notes on this one because it kind of seemed to speak for itself mm-hmm. but before I, I pass it back to you he says religion in here and we talked about this a little earlier he says that that people have to be checked by fear in the name of religion is what he says so we t- already talked about fear and it, you know, there's no denying that that's being used against us right now, mm-hmm. but it seems like it's always been that way. 
And in his day and age, it was the church that was doing that. Yeah. It was that fear was coming from the church authority. Yep. But when he uses the word religion here, I think what he means is something more like what he was, what we were talking about before with superstition. Mm-hmm. So he says religion meaning sort of a blind obedience to authority. Yep. It just so happened back then the authority was religion. Yeah, Today absolutely. it's the state. Yep. So we could just as easily say that the mystery of, or the greatest secret of despotism is to keep men deceived and to cloak in the specious name of government the fear by which they must be checked. Yeah. So, you know, it could easily be that way. Yeah. So uh, another thing that jumps out to me is that this is basically, it seems like he's criticizing nationalism to me. Yes. You know, Um, and nationalism is uh, one of these things that I have a, I I don't have a hard time with it. I don't like nationalism. Okay. I'm not a nationalist really, Mm -hmm. but when we live in the society that is moved beyond nationalism and is pushing for globalism, mm. I'll take nationalism. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't want to be considered a part of this giant 330 million people group of Americans. I don't want to be lumped into that collective. Right. But if I have to do that, I would rather do that than be lumped into the 7 billion collective of the globalist yeah. community. Right. You know, it's like... uh I kind of think about it like presidential elections, too. It's like you either have to pick between globalism or nationalism. You either have to pick between Trump or Biden or Trump or Hillary. And I just feel like it's kind of like um, asking the parent of like two mentally handicapped children to pick one of them. It's like, I don't really mm. want either of them in the first place. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I had to, I had to make Chris squirm a little bit on that one. <laughs> you do that from time to time. <laughs> um, so I had something, I had something that I wanted to say, but that you've completely erased it from my mind with that <laughs> remark. Um, but do you, you do like, you see what I'm saying with nationalism and globalism, right? Oh like, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, you're so good. I wanted to ask you like the different, we were talking about living in a community, uh, we had this conversation. We we're talking about policing. Like it works better if it's small yeah, it was versus Sam, it, yeah. if it's large. But but remember a time when you worked for like a small company versus a time where you worked for a, a big company. Mm-hmm. The more people in that organization, the less valuable you are. Sure. When you work for a small, like a mom and pop, um, even if your job is just a, a, a lowly job, it's important and you're much more likely to be respected and valued for your role because it, it helps, it, it makes everything tick. 100%. But the more the more cogs there are in the machine, the less valuable they are. Yep. And you're 100% right. If I lived in a global community ruled by a leader and was looked upon as no different than any of the other 6 billion people in the world or whatever, 7 billion people in the world, um, how much how much value could could you possibly place on me? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, like, it's hard to imagine any at all. Yeah, absolutely. And I also, you know, when it comes to the nationalism thing, Trump ran as a big nationalist, you know? Um, and then I think about things like these COVID relief bills and us shipping tons of money all over the world. Mm-hmm. It's like, why, why should I expect the people of America to want to send a bunch of money other places? You know, like in my mind, I'll take nationalism, even though I don't agree with it. I'll take it over what they're pushing for, yeah. you know, but still that's another, that's like not a great situation to be in, you know, because then you're choosing nationalism, which is not great. No. So yeah, I mean, it's, con- it's, a uh, not good. I'm, I'm with you. We're stuck between Scylla and Charybdis mm. as a, 
that one dude from American Pie said. I can't uh, remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Kyle, do me a favor. We'll skip the next quote and read the third quote. Third quote. Yeah. Okay. They know how to reproach people for their vices better than they know how to teach them virtues. And they strive not to guide men by reason, but to restrain them by fear, so that they flee the evil rather than love virtues. Such people aim only to make others as wretched as they themselves are. So it is no wonder that they are generally burdensome and hateful to men. Mm. I love it. Yeah. Um, I have two things I want to say about it, but I'm interested in what you, what you have to say. You go ahead and say what you said. Okay. What you have to say. So the first thing is that last line about uh, making people as wretched as they are mm -hmm. and being generally hateful to men. Yep. That, that I cannot uh, tell you the images that flood in my mind are protests, uh, you know, the Me Too stuff, yeah. the tr Trump hate everywhere, For sure. the riots. Yep. That's, that's what comes to my mind. Yeah. Um, that's, that what came, that's what came to my mind too. Um, uh, I've got written here, uh, these people, like I, I do, I think of these protests and I think of like, you know, the girls with the super short haircuts and the, the horn rim glasses, just like screaming, uh, you know, and oh, just yeah. like pure faces of hate. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And I can't help, maybe this is all just me imposing this, this idea that I have on them. But I can't help but think that they actually hate themselves. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's kind of what he's saying here. I mean... That's what he's saying. Yeah. Um, and that they're, they're lashing out because they want... The, yeah, they just want... They want the rest of the world to feel as miserable as they mm. do. Or as miserable as they think they should feel. Maybe, oh, and, that's and an interesting yeah, idea. Yeah, maybe they maybe that the white guilt that these that these people feel that, that these liberal college kids are screaming at in the faces of police policemen or whatever. Maybe that maybe what they're feeling is is that uh, self hate that yeah. they that they don't want to admit to themselves and they want to impose on everyone else. Mm -hmm. It's it's crazy, man. Yep, that is it is not good. I, another thing that I wrote and we're kind of touching on it here is that. This is evergreen, you know, like this matter. This is as relevant today as it was back when he wrote it. Oh, yeah. Um, so um, I, uh, did you have another point on that one? Um, I'm having a hard time reading my handwriting <laughs> here. Oh, I, I do think it's definitely true that it's much more effective to love virtue than it is to flee evil. Mm. Um, the motivation to continue, to continue doing things, even if, things get hard if you're doing it because you love it and you want to improve right you're much more likely to stay on than if you're like f beating yourself up over oh, something yeah. you know yeah, so that's right. definitely true um but yeah i mean well, if you I, have so anything to say i, I on have that. something on that exact point okay and this is the way i took it tell me what you think about this when he says that they and by they he's talking about the authority that they know how to reproach people better for their vices than how to teach them virtues that what I see is from the government, um, I see people much more likely to write a law or propose a legislation to punish people for something that they see is wrong, to, to focus on, on eliminating what they see as, as vices, rather than having any thoughts or plans about how to make the world better. Yeah, so for sure. They could be... They could be instilling virtues. They could be, uh, they could be reinforcing virtues. They could be trying to make us better. But politicians make no effort to do that. Instead, what they're what they're trying to do is to 
punish the people they think are are moving us in the wrong direction. One hundred percent. Yep. Because it's way easier to point fingers at people than it is to do actual work to try to make something better. Yeah, absolutely. That makes me think of uh, something that I've heard Mr. Joe Rogan point out quite a few times since this COVID thing is that it's all about wear your mask. Don't don't deny the science. Wear your mask. Stay at home. Mm-hmm. Keep six feet away from people. You're you're an asshole. Um, it's not at all about start working out, start eating a little healthier and mm-hmm. drinking more water and getting more sleep. It's none of the good. It's not pushing you towards virtue. It's telling you to flee from evil. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's so much. It's so, you're right, man. Pe- yeah. Pe- I mean, people don't want to do the hard thing. No. Uh, myself included. I, I you know, I, I've done the hard thing sometimes, but yeah, I mean, a lot of times I would rather not do the hard thing. Of course. It's human we, nature. We all struggle with that. Yeah. It, it, as a leader though. If I reinforce that, if I if I say to somebody, uh, you know, don't don't worry, don't worry about how to, you know, like, like you said, don't worry about how to, uh, you know, prevent yourself from getting sick. Don't worry about that. Just just you know, follow these rules. Follow the rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's easier. It's easier for me. To, I don't have to think about it. The rules have already written, Kyle. Sure. I don't even have to think about it. I just have to obey. Yep. Fuck you. And especially if it's you know. I guess we're getting a little a little controversial here, but especially if it's something like COVID, that like, yeah, maybe it's a problem for some people. But for the most part, it doesn't seem to be that big of a problem. So it's like, all right, well, I'm just going to obey the rules. And look, I didn't get sick. It's like, yeah, well, nobody did. You know, like, no, like 10 people died, you yeah. know. Obviously, I'm being hyperbolic here. but Right. Um, so the only other thing that I have here, and it's something that we have kind of touched on in some of these other ones, is that just – Think about all the ways throughout history in which fear has been used to manipulate people. Mm. I mean, let's just, right now it's COVID. Before that, it was Trump and Russia, Russian collusion. Before that, you know, is... It was the, it was uh, the, it was the McCarthyism and the Red yeah, Scare. Yeah, it yeah was exactly. The Salem it was witch trials. Terrorism. It was terrorism. Yeah, exactly. It was the Inquisition. It's always something. Always something. And uh, I think swine flu. Yeah, exactly. Anything. Anything that they can. You know, just pump the fear up on, get people acting frantically. Uh, so I just wish that people could see through that a little bit more. And that is something that I think that I'm getting better at. Um, but, you know, I have some friends who would say that maybe I'm just too skeptical, that I just don't believe anything, which yeah. maybe there's some truth to that, but I don't know. Well, I don't think so. I think I'm a genius and you guys should all listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I think being skeptical is good. Um, being naive is the the worst sin in the world it's it's something that every human being has to figure out the hard way yep. you know don't take the blue pill <laughs> all right so there's, there's basically three other quotes here the reason i wanted you to skip the the second one is because the last three i think go together the last three have to do with basically free speech so you want to start back up on the original on the number se- two on number two yep. okay yep. all right go you, ahead okay i'll do it all right here we go so spinoza says this it's better that right counsels be known to enemies than that evil secrets of tyrants should be concealed from its citizens. They who can treat secretly of the affairs of a nation have it absolutely under their authority, and as they plot against the enemy in time of war, so do they against the citizen in time of peace. Hell yes. Yes, Spinoza. Yeah, man, he knocked that one out of the park. And what, the, what comes to your mind immediately? Well... It, it, the first thing that jumped out to me is where he says um, 
that as they plan against nations during times of war, they plan against the people in times of peace. Yep. And I just think that, like, yeah, the CIA is what does that during times of war with other nations. Yep. And the NSA and the FBI and police forces, that's what that's who does it to us here. Right. And politicians making laws and, you know, yeah, and, just... Uh, and, and look, man, right now we don't have a major conflict going on. Mm-hmm. I, I know we have... You know, there's still soldiers over in Afghanistan and Iraq and all that. I get it. Yeah. But we don't have a major military conflict right now. Yeah, we're kind of playing cop. We are. And yeah. you know you know what we're talking about now? Cracking down on domestic terrorism. <laughs> yep. So t- talk about turning turning those weapons against your own people. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what the government's doing now so that they can be seen as doing something good. They're, they're, they're now going to come after conservatives for being conservative. Are you fucking kidding me? They're not passing and i don't think this is a good idea anyways but they're not passing medicare for all they're not doing any of that shit they that did, they're they talking about they didn't forgive my student loans yeah no but uh but yeah we're gonna crack down on people who think the wrong things so yeah that that was a great quote i i really really like him talking about so do they against the citizens in time of peace because i don't think a lot of people really think about that. I think a lot of people think, oh yeah, maybe some of the stuff that the government does overseas, you know, maybe killing a million people in Iraq was not good, but they don't really mess with us that bad. It's like, you're not paying attention. No. You are you have no idea what's really going on. Mm. So I think that's an important thing to bring up to people. Absolutely. And this whole thing about um, that, that they who can treat secretly of the affairs of a nation, mm-hmm. that reminds me of like, even though we have this Freedom of Information Act and we can get information, we still can't get Everything. No. And we sometimes takes months or years to get what you've asked for. Yep. So we absolutely have a, a, a federal, you know, at least a piece, a deep part of the federal infrastructure that is not accessible to the people, even though they're supposed to be serving the people. And I get the idea of national security interests and all that sort of thing, but that is used to abuse that privilege. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get it. We have some secrets we want to keep secret for for a, just a strategic reason. I, I get that, but you can't use that to keep to keep legitimate information from the people. Yeah, I think, th- and this will come as no surprise to anybody who knows me even remotely. The uh, the part where that becomes problematic is the fact that it's supposed to be this public organization, like they're doing it for all of us, you know, right. which is just so obviously on the face of it bullshit you know um i don't know you know if if we got rid of the cia which i am fully in support of doing get rid of the cia completely Mm -hmm. um if we did that we would still have intelligence organizations there's military intelligence there's lots of other ways to gather intelligence than propping up this organization that basically all they do is set up regime changes i mean that's I, i don't think people understand the evil that is the CIA. We should do a CIA episode. Mm, I've not really dug into it too deeply. Oh, dude, the CIA is fucked. It's an. It's maybe the Federal Reserve is maybe number one. The CIA is probably number two of wow. evil organizations in the United mm. States. Well, so, I know. I know that the FBI and the CIA butt heads, and I know that now that we have the NSA, that it's kind of more of the same. That we're supposed to be working together, but they they kind of seem to see themselves as as competing with each other or something. which is fucking weird it's very weird yeah all right let's uh, uh i'm gonna let, let you read the last two i think you okay. should read them back to back okay just so, no commentary in between um, just yeah just pause and then go on to okay. the next one and then we'll do our commentary first quote 
Everyone is by absolute natural right the master of his own thoughts, and thus utter failure will attend any attempt to force men to speak only as prescribed by the sovereign, despite their different and opposing opinions. Boom. Quote one. Now, quote two. What can be more calamitous than that men should be regarded as enemies and put to death, not for any crime or misdeed, but for being of independent mind? Magical. Yep. So in, in Spinoza's day, you know, people were being killed for having independent opinions yeah, or like, you know, locked away for the rest of their lives yeah. for no crime at all. You know uh, who Johann DeWitt is? No, let's hear about it. So Johann DeWitt, uh, you know, in that time, uh, you know, Spanish Inquisition, a lot of crazy stuff is happening. And you had a faction of people who were moving to keep things in a monarchy, you know, they wanted a king, all of that type of stuff. Uh, and you had another group of people who were pushing the more, like, kind of popular up-and-coming thing, which is that they wanted a republic. And um, this guy, Johann de Witt, was one of those people. He, was, okay. he wanted a republic. And it's weird. If you think about it now, it's kind of like the shoes have switched feet. Um, now, like, the monarchists were conservatives back then right and the uh people who wanted the republic those were the liberals right you know? uh, but if you I, I don't really know much about this guy johan dewitt about his philosophy but i have a feeling if you brought him here today he would get ran out on a rail for being a nazi you know what i mean well, for sure so that's interesting but uh johan dewitt he um he was a leader of this this group that wanted a republic and his brother was in, involved in it too and his brother was in prison and he went to prison to visit his brother and as they were leaving um, the, a mob killed him like oh, wow. you know cut him down brutal stuff started mm. cutting his body into pieces and selling it to people people wow. were eating it wow. cut his heart out uh, lots of brutal brutal stuff and that's because he had a different idea than people unbelievable you know unbelievable uh, and Spinoza you know, was like heartbroken about it. So I, I get the idea that, that new ideas can be dangerous, mm -hmm. um, but they can also be extremely powerful in a good way. Yeah. So we have to, we have to, the only way to have those good new ideas is to leave room for all of the shitty ones. We yeah. have to let people believe what they want and speak their thoughts. We have to, it's the only way if as soon as we start filtering that and casting that net and you know as soon as we do that we we run the risk of losing those brilliant new ideas that we need mm -hmm. so to kill people for new ideas or or opposing opinions is is the height of arrogance yeah i mean i think about you know the insurrection at the capitol and stuff like that and i think about how these people who are liberals today you know, I, I'm not that worried about getting cut up into little pieces and sold on the street, but who knows how long that's going to take, you know? Mm. Um, and I also think that a lot of these, like the liberals who hate Trump's followers, um, you know, Trump's followers, you know, maybe they think some crazy stuff, but none of what the Trump followers think is anywhere near as crazy as the stuff that I think. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I, they're talking about having a conservative president and building a wall. I'm talking about getting rid of the government. I'm talking about no more, no more, you know, uh, Department of Education, no more CIA. Yep. Um, and I just can't help but wonder, like, w when is the time when, you know, 
I don't know. It, it does make me nervous. Yeah. You know, uh, having this podcast and talking about this kind of stuff, I've been thinking about it, you know, like oh, when yeah. is, when am I going to say something? And even though it's not like we're getting a ton of listeners right now, when is that one person, that one psychopath going to hear it and decide to like find out where I work and try to get yeah. me fired. And so I think, know. I think that says more about the state we're living in now than anything we've talked about in our like 10 or 11 episodes mm-hmm. so far is that, is that in the back of our minds, we actually do have to have some concern about our safety or privacy or, or security because we opened our mouths and said words. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and not, and from the people certainly, but from the government as well. And that is a tyranny. That is the definition of a tyranny. Yep. Um, you know, that, I read those two quotes there. The first one is talking about how censorship is never going to, you know, you're never really going to get good results from it, you know? Um, And every man, by absolute natural right, is the master of his own thoughts. Um, And that seems self-evident in a lot of ways. But, man, are they, they're really trying today. You know, like, they really think that maybe they can, you know, just look at what's going on with censorship with... uh, Mm. The social media companies, they are not, they do not agree with Spinoza. They think that they can't, you know, that it'll be fine. They'll find a way. I think it's like, you know, when people talk about communism, it's like real communism's never been tried. Well, Mm -hmm. I think Jack Dorsey at Twitter is like, well, real censorship has never been tried. I've got this shit, you know. Wow. And, you know, I think that they're actually making some progress as as, as far as that goes. So limiting what people are exposed to limits what thoughts they have. It takes a real, it, it takes a real effort to think about something deeply and to have a, an original thought or to make up your own mind about something. Yeah. And as long as people are limiting what we're exposed to and giving us in a package what we're supposed to be making up our minds on and yeah. how we're supposed to be doing it, that's easy. Yep. And 99.9% of everybody in the world and everyone listening on this podcast right now is going to take that easy bit rather yeah. than the hard bit. Yeah, they've definitely learned some new stuff, some new tricks. You know, you know about like the Overton window, like the allowable, the allowable scope of what you you can talk about publicly. Mm, Okay. You know, you've got this window right here and everything over on this side you're not allowed to talk about and everything over on this side you're not allowed to talk about. But the way that they kind of manipulate people is that within this window, they encourage a lot of like lively debate, you know, right. like they want you to be disagreeing in this window, mm. but you can't go out to these sides. That's you know? an interesting point. Yeah. You're right. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of like one of these tricks that they've learned over over the years that uh, Jack Dorsey's benefiting mm. from Dorsey so I- and Zuckerberg and all these so listen, I can't skip at, past this quote. I know, I know, we want to get to the good stuff, uh, which which I'm is not coming. In any hurry. But this last part where he says um, to force men to speak only as prescribed by the sovereign, to force men to speak only as prescribed by the authority, mm-hmm. and I can't say that without thinking about transgender pronouns. Oh yeah. Without thinking about PC PC culture, mm-hmm. there's so much that we can't say anymore. Yeah. Uh, there's 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 ways in which we can we can no longer talk about things. Yep. And one way that I find it really interesting is watching old TV shows. Okay. And I'm just like, you could never say that today. Yeah. And people just understood that it was in good humor, or that it was an analogy, or that it was you know it was perfectly fine. We were adults. We gave people that. Yeah. We don't do that anymore. Yeah. 
You don't even have to go that far back into the annals of television for no. it either. The Office. Oh. Holy shit, man. Some of those early <laughs> Office episodes, like Michael Scott, like talking to Kelly in the Indian voice. Cookie, cookie. Oh, good to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you're right. I know what you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. Um, all right. So the other thing I wanted to talk about here was forcing people to speak in a certain way. When I talked about the PC uh, thing, what I mean, though, is changing the language that we're using. Mm. So now we're, we're we're using certain words like we talked about this insurrection word that we're that the sure. media is using it's equity like, equity yeah using certain words to change the way we think about things mm-hmm. it is absolutely manipulation yeah and it, it's tied into what you said earlier about these philosophers that, that are difficult to sure, read sure that's a great point because they want to be so specific about the meaning of their words yeah try to take this out of context motherfucker try yeah and, but meanwhile they succeed in making it so boring and hard to understand that nobody's getting it yeah. And I, I, I think some ways that might also be counterproductive in taking it out of context too, because then it's like nobody understands that I can put it in whatever context I want. Um, you know, a good modern version of this very careful speaking is Jordan Peterson. Oh, yeah. um, you know, like especially before his little break w- with all his problems, that guy is so careful. Like he'll sit there, he'll be like, someone will ask him a question, he'll be like, well... And then it'll just like stop, you know, and just like really think it out. So, I mean, you know, I think it's safe to say that Jordan Peterson is a bit of a philosopher himself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so just to give you some examples, when we're talking about uh, the the way that we're manipulating language, if you're one of those people that doesn't believe that, um, we talked about, we, uh, about the word equity a minute ago, Mm -hmm. and we used to talk about equality. Now we're talking about equity. We pret- the media pretends and the government pretends that it's not, not maybe it's maybe it's the same thing or maybe it's an extension of the same thing. Not not that they're different words with different meanings and they are. Mm-hmm. We used to say things like global warming and now it's climate change. Yep. Uh, now I'm not a, den- a denier. I'm not going to even talk about it any further. But the point is, we're talking about the same thing. It used to be called global warming and now it's called climate change, and there yeah. are reasons for that. Yeah. Um, then it reminds me of George Carlin. Oh. Do you remember shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cock? Oh, no, not that bit. Not that bit. Different bit. Okay, different got bit. It. Um, <laughs> George Carlin did this bit. If you guys don't know George Carlin, you, you got to go back and listen the to the greatest. He, he, one of the OG stand-up comics. He he did it for a long time, and and he it was he was heavily political. And I don't agree with almost any of his political points, but this thing I want to talk about. He said in the old days. Um. When, like in the first and second world wars, when the soldiers would come back with, uh, with damage, psychological damage, that they were su- suffering from shell shock. Shell shock. Exactly. <laughs> shell shock. Yeah. And then that transformed over the years in different variations to become post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. It used to be shell shock. Yeah. Now it's post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason why... We don't call it shell shock anymore because the government, because the state doesn't want people to think about their sons suffering from this terrible thing called shell shock. Yeah. They want, they want us to have a nice, uh, manageable medical condition that can yeah, be, we'll that can be effectively treated with medicine and therapy. That's yeah. what they want. Yep. Right. But it's fucking shell shock. That is a great way to, to kind of encapsulate how that manipulation of language is effective. 
All right. I'm, Great. I'm satisfied with that, Kyle. Yep. I, I, I want to listen to some George Carlo. <laughs> I love George Carlo, man. So I, I don't want to leave the audience hanging because Spinoza has recommendations. He has his own ideas about how things can be done or should be done um, that, that, that makes sense. And there's a couple things we can talk about there. So you, yeah, I don't know if you want to have something off the top of your, your mind there, Kyle. No, I mean, I'm, if you, I'm just going to start at the top of this list. Yes. That's, that's it for me. Um, so the first thing he says here is, Minds are conquered not by arms, but by love and nobility. And this was an interesting one for me because I'm not 100% sure what he means. I mean, I can think of maybe a couple different ways how that's true, but they might even be kind of like contradictory ways. So... Um, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about that. What, basically, the thing that I that stuck out to me and seemed to make the most sense to me is that, like the old idea that you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Yep, yep. You know, and I think about, um, like the royals over in Great Britain. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I know that they don't really have that much power anymore, but um, they love them. You know. Oh uh, yeah. You know the the they're the nobility and the people. You know the proletariat, mm. the those people they love mm. the nobility. Um, th- I just think that's interesting. It's like it makes it harder to topple a regime that you love. You know, it, it is it is interesting. So to that, I would say that today the reason that people love the royal family is the same reason that they love Britney Spears, the Kardashians, the Kardashians. Yeah. Exactly right. Um, uh, although I actually disagree a little bit, I think that it is a little bit different over there. Yeah, I, you're right. You're but right. I do. I think that you do are right to a large degree. That a lot of the fascination that that is what it is. It's yeah. celebrity. It's celebrity, and it's what they represent. Mm-hmm. That it's it's nationalism. It's yeah. that pe- they're a symbol. Oh, yeah, they're, that's great. They're a symbol of what those of what the the the. I, I want to say British, but I, but I can't say that. Um, because they don't all consider themselves British, but the the royal family? No, 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 no. The the oh, people, the, the people of, of Great, yeah, Britain, yeah. Of Great the, Britain, of the United Kingdom. Excuse yeah. me. Um, where was it going with that? Um, I lost my train of thought. That sucks. Well, anyway. Oh, I, but I will give you my piece on this. So when he says minds aren't conquered by arms, he, he means arms like guns and weapons and armies. Um, and it's true. It's true. Minds aren't conquered by arms, but nations are. Um, so yeah, you have to understand what he's saying here is that you can conquer a nation, you can take That's over a people, great. but okay. you're not you're not going to win over their minds yep. and hearts. Yep. Now that I think goes back to the point I wanted to make is that the royal family, uh, let's just say the feudal lord, the lord of your wherever you lived in the in the medieval t- times. Yep. If that lord was a benevolent lord and he fed his people and defended his people and took care of his people, yeah. if he was noble in that way, the people would love him. Yep. That I don't think that now that now that is a legitimate way in the, that you were trying to put it. I think a legitimate way of thinking about it. But whether the the British people uh, or the people in the, in the United Kingdom look at the royal family that way anymore, sure. I, I have a hard time believing. Yeah, yeah. But once That's upon a time, point. it may have been that way. That reminds me, I've been listening to the audiobook of Dune. Oh yeah. And uh, you know that book, uh, it's about. You know, kind of similar to Star Wars. This there's this character named Paul who was like Luke Skywalker, uh, except he knows his dad, and his dad is this guy whose name is the Duke Leto Atreides, and they keep talking about this Duke like he's a great ruler, like he's the guy he's the guy that you were just talking about who mm-hmm. takes care of his people and like they're fine if they have to do something unpleasant for him, they're in line yep. because he's taking care of them. Nice. Yeah, that just called that back to mind. 
so that so that might absolutely be what the kind of thing he's talking about where he says that minds are con- can be conquered by love. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he says love and nobility, what I what I think of is more like more along the lines of what you were saying, catching flies with honey. Um, and we said we talked about this when we talked about the fall of the Soviet Union many times. Is what um, what brought down the Soviet Union was was rock and roll and Levi's and things like that. It was yeah. the culture. What I think that means is that if you stand as an example, if you stand as an example, like when you like when you're raising your kids, you're supposed to be an example that they look they look to and see the right way of acting. That if you're a leader and you lead by example that you are you are showing somebody um a symbol of nobility you're giving some somebody something to aim for something to look up to yeah and that if you lead that way it's effective yeah that makes me think of the Jordan Peterson thing where you it's like you've got a hundred men who do things the right way and you condense that down into you know a hero and then you've got 10 heroes who do things a certain way and then you've got the king the me- then yeah. you've got uh, you know 10 kings who do that thing and then you've got the savior you yeah. know the oh, messiah yeah, yeah um, absolutely so that just makes me think of that um just talking about the royal family thing it just pops into my mind all of the stuff that happened with harry and megan in mm-hmm. this interview with oprah did you see that i did not see it though basically basically it's just this this Lady Meghan Markle, who is like, I guess she's black. She doesn't look black to me. Um, you know, like, what, she is black, obviously. You look at old pictures of her, and she's, like, very obviously got some black in her. And I just wonder, like, why is why is what she's doing not cultural appropriation? She's become a white woman, okay? And then she tried to become a royal. She tried to a culture, uh, appropriate royal culture, and uh, she failed at that, and they kicked her out, and now she's calling them racist. That's funny, because I had a similar thought the other day, um, just kind of as a joke to myself, was uh, we were listening to YouTube, there was music on, we had people over, and um, I Will Always Love You came on, but it was Dolly Parton, Ooh. and I never heard the Dolly Parton version, I only ever heard the Whitney Houston version, yeah. and then I immediately thought to myself, was Whitney Houston culturally appropriate? Oh, shit. Would that, I mean, obviously that wouldn't happen today because, you know, it's a white person's song. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's not. Maybe they've just both covered it. I don't know the origins of the song. Yeah. Uh, you know, forgive my ignorance. But the fact that she made a bunch of money and, uh, and you know, sung that country Western lady's song, if it were the other way around, that they would be calling, you know, yeah. calling foul on that today Absolutely. all day long. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's an interesting point, um, and, it, it, and it proves how freaking stupid it it's is. It's also stupid. cultural. Listen, guys, this is America. This is a, this is the place where we can listen to Tejano music while, while we're eating Thai food. You know, this is the country where where cultures are for everyone. This is, the, the cultural appropriation is the biggest joke and the most anti-American sentiment I can fucking imagine. Kyle, sorry about that. No, it's fine. You can you can listen to your you know crazy crazy foreigner music and eat your. Uh, you know, your Indian food. I prefer hamburgers and country music <laughs> personally, but you have that freedom here in the the melting pot. As long as you're listening to Darius Rutger when you're listening to your country music, Kyle, that's all that matters. <laughs> Absolutely. Shout out to Hootie. Um, uh, keep reading. We've got another quote here. All right. So here we go. The ultimate aim of government is not to rule or restrain by fear, nor to exact obedience, but to free every man from fear that he may live in all possible security. 
No, the object of government is not to change men from rational beings into puppets, but to enable them to develop their minds and bodies in security and to employ their reason unshackled. In fact, the true aim of government is liberty. Hell yeah, man. And just me all worked up. Although this is actually, uh, there were some things that I disagree. Far be it from me to disagree with Baruch Spinoza, but I did have some, some disagreements. Hey, before you get into them, because I don't have, I don't have a lot of notes on this. Um, I'm afraid I'm going to forget and maybe I'm doing it now. Um, Oh, so you remember earlier when he was talking about the anti big government points, a lot of what he talked about is, um, the state rendering control of over the people using fear mm-hmm. using fear yeah and here he says that the role of government is to free people of fear yeah so he's saying that's really the only thing government is there to do is to relieve us of that fear so that we can live our lives freely sure and what the government instead does is use fear Stoke to the flames. to keep us down yeah go ahead what, what were your points on this um well basically i mean it kind of ties into that um says, but to free every man from fear that he may live in all possible security. Um, I, I just don't, I'm not sure that I think that that is the government's place to do. Um, like setting up, uh, that sounds like communism to me. That sounds like we're going to set it, and I guess it just depends on how they're setting it up. But to me, the idea that the government is going to set you up to where you're secure, no thank you. I don't want that. Well, I think what he's talking about is... National, getting out of the way national defense and oh, okay. and, and um protect protection under the law so that i'm not afraid some like like private property so somebody can't steal from me that the government's role is to keep me f- free of fear that i'm that i'm going to be killed or robbed or or whatever that i should be able to live my life without fear of those things yep okay um i agree with that uh, to a certain extent, for what, sure. Whether it's the government's job to do it or not. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. Like, what? A, regardless of who's setting it up, the goal is to be unencumbered by, you know, all of the things that have encumbered us throughout history. Yep. You know, okay. Um, I do think, you know, he's talking about liberty here, and to me, liberty seems to be tied to limitations on government. Um, yes. The less limitations on government there are, the less liberty you're mm. going to have. So I think, you know, he says, uh, what, is, what is it? But to enable them to develop their minds and bodies in security and to employ their reason unshackled. And I think that the best thing that they could do is just to get out of the way. I agree. Yeah. I, I, I am, I'm a libertarian, so I agree with you on that. And I don't know. He's not specific here with sure. the details. Yeah, he's not. He, to be fair, he's not calling for. You know, at least obviously and throughout the rest of this, it would seem that he wouldn't call for this, but like a, a big state to be controlling everything and things like that. Right. So I also think I, I made a reference to American Pie earlier, but where he says, in fact, the true aim of government is liberty. I have Hallelujah Stifler from uh, the uh, American Pie movie written here for that, too. Oh, yeah. Just lots of American Pie references. Hey, I don't know why. It's a day for it. Um, <laughs> so I, I had a point on that, too. Um, and I'm not sure how to say this or if I'm going to be able to do it, but I'll, I'll try. So when he says um, to enable them to develop their minds and bodies uh, and, and to employ their reason unshackled, he's basically saying that, that what government should do, what a state should do, is free its citizens to have the freedom to, to do with their minds and bodies whatever they want, mm-hmm. um, you know, creatively or whatever it might be, that they should be able to, 
to do with what, what is theirs, their being, whatever it is that their heart desires, that that's what freedom is. And today, and I think your point is right on about limit, that limiting government is necessary for that, because today the purpose of government isn't to free us from shackles. The purpose of a government seems to be to do more and more for us. Yeah. And everything they do for us is another shackle. 100%. Because the moment, the moment I'm relying on government for health care, mm-hmm. if that ever should go away, then I, I don't have health care anymore. Yeah. I, I now have to rely on the government to have that health care. So everything they do for me is another shackle. Yeah. That's, 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 I think, exactly the point you were making. But yep. Yeah, that is. That's exactly what I was getting at. Um, I don't understand how people... I, I, maybe this isn't true, but I just imagine that people who had bad childhoods, mm-hmm. rough childhoods, it, it seems to me that they grow up to be more government people, like big government people. Yes. Um, and that doesn't make any sense to me because you grew up dependent on your parents to take care of you and they treated you like shit. Mm. So like why this growing up and attaching that to the state now? It's like they're swapping out one one bad parent for a better parent or something. Yeah, yeah. But But to do that... To do that is to be enslaved, yeah. and and the fact that the progressives, which are largely liberal, are the ones that are pushing for, I say the ones pushing for bigger government, I know that's not true, they're both pushing yeah. for bigger government, but it's coming so much from the left in, in the media and in, in the public mind, yeah. um, that, some, that somebody who, who can be liberal and progressive and say that I want to, I want to do everything for the citizens mm-hmm. so that they're completely dependent and reliant on me. That is to make them a slave. Yep. That is to make the citizens a slave of the of the state. And for a progressive to want that and to not be able to understand that that's what they're saying. Yeah. And for all of the Democrats to vote for that person and think that that's good without realizing what they're doing. The 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 people who think slavery was the was the worst catastrophe, and it was, uh, are willing to put it back in place. In a different way, mm-hmm. just so they can ensure that you're going to vote for them and keep them in power. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you tied that back, back into slavery because that's exactly where I was going to take it. It's like you think about the idea that these people have for the future for us. And, yeah, the conditions might be nicer than the black slaves, um, but essentially it's the exact same situation. Mm. Those those slaves were dependent on their slave owners for everything. That's a good question. So I'll ask the I'll ask the listeners here. Then just imagine, imagine this though. Imagine you, you could live a life where you have all of your necessities met, and not even your necessities, but even the luxuries. Mm-hmm. You have everything provided for you. As good as that sounds, would you trade your freedom? Would you trade your uh, free your 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 the ability to have your own opinion the be the ability to come and go as you see fit the ability to decide for yourself what your future will hold and what your actions will be what your opinions will be would you trade that to have everything provided for you because that's the decision that that the government today is asking us to make yep we're running up to it real quick too um yeah, you got more on that one. Or you want me to read the next? Nope, that's about all I've got for that one. I, I like this next one because uh, so we have two left, so we're kind of rounding them up here. But the last one, the one that I'm going to read here, I think is a little bit more about capitalism and free market, which I thought was interesting, especially coming from the 1670s. Yeah. So this guy says the formation of society serves not only for defensive purposes, but also as rendering possible the division of labor. 
if men did not render mutual assistance to each other, no one would have either the skill or the time to provide for his own subsistence and, and preservation. For all men are not equally apt for all work, and no one would be capable of preparing all that he individually stood in need of, unquote. Mm-hmm. So, yep. I, so I think it's interesting where he says that society, now note he's not talking about the government here, but society, but he says that society, that people group together and live together in order to divide the labor. And that makes me think of things like economies of scale. Like in, like in the first world today, we do things like manufacture like computer chips uh, yeah. because, because we can do that. Mm-hmm. Places that have uh, a less developed economy, it's much more difficult for them to do it. Like you, you go to Nigeria, you're going to have a real problem putting up to a factory and making it, you know, state-of-the-art computer chips. Yeah. But in a place like that, you have cheap labor and resources that will make, allow you to make textiles very inexpensively. Yep. So those people make all the t-shirts, mm-hmm. right? That That's what economies of scale means, that that places that have certain advantages, if it's natural resources, if it's labor, if it's technology, people who have those sorts of resources should do what they do best. Yeah. And other people should do what they do best. Yep. And then we should all trade with one another. Yep. I think this division of labor idea is connected to that. And that is the heart of a free market. Yeah, I completely agree with that's exactly what I took out of it too. Um, just my obligatory anarchist bullshit. The formation of society serves not only for defensive purposes, but for all that is what he's saying. I don't think, and I'm not necessarily saying that this is what Spinoza was suggesting, but that does not require a state. Uh, like there doesn't need to be a state for that. Um, and, and he doesn't say so. Yeah, no, he, he does. Society. He 100% yeah. does not. Yep. Um, so I just wanted to point that out, but, uh, what you were touching on there, have you ever read the, um, it's like a, like an essay. It's called I Pencil. No. Oh, it's I think I might have heard about by it. By this though. guy named Leonard Reed. And uh, it's basically, he's talking about how you've got a pencil mm-hmm. and it seems like the most simple thing ever. But then he goes into the amazing complexity and the just the vastness of where all the places you have yes. to and he he, does, he he not only goes into that but he goes into like you know you need the wood for the pencil so he goes into the lumberjack you know the yep. all of it yep. you know, it's like this amazingly complex thing and uh there's all of these different parts of the pencil and they're all su- way more complicated than yep. you would imagine so um, I, I heard that same type of thing, mm-hmm. um, but it, but it was about a Snickers bar. Oh, okay. And it was they were saying like for you to for you to put together a Snickers, you have to get cocoa from Brazil, mm-hmm. sugar from the Caribbean, uh, peanuts from Spain. Uh, you know, so all the stuff it takes to make a, a Snickers, um, an individual human being in one any part of the world Not could never happen. could never do it. Yep. And uh, one, the way that this eye pencil thing kind of wraps up is that. Um, all of that happens. The snicker bar, the pencil, from beginning to completion, that all happens without a mastermind. There's no person plugging things in and telling people what to do. It's like this company tells their people what to do. That company tells their people what to do. And we just form in lockstep and create the most amazing society that, that's, well, you know, maybe not ever, but as far as we know, the most amazing society that's hey, ever existed. The most amazing pencil anyway. Absolutely. Uh, and another thought that I had, and this kind of ties in with Spinoza's thoughts on God and things like that. Okay. Um, you know, where I work, 
right now we're doing these seminars, okay? Um, and yesterday, actually, they had a seminar on um, pollination, you know, how to get things to flower and how to get your trees to produce more fruit, things like that. Yep. And one of the guys who works there, his name's Michael, he brought in, he, he keeps bees and he brought Ooh. in a bunch of bee stuff. And I couldn't help but think about how human beings, a lot of human beings see themselves as separate from nature. You know, like there's nature and then there's human beings and we create plastics and that's not natural. Yeah. And, you know, yep. we see ourselves as separate from it. Uh, and he, you know, this guy Michael's telling me about how, you know, there's these like, I don't know, maybe inch and a half slats that are full, you know, full of, full of the wax and stuff that the, the bees build their you know, their honeycombs out of, and there's a queen in there and she like works her way through these things. And, you know, he's got to like time it out perfectly. She's laying like 2,500 eggs a day. Wow. And, um, it, nobody taught them how to do that. You know, that like, there's no, there was no queen bee who taught the queen bee what she right. needed to do. And I think about how complicated that is and how they just get it. And then I think about like imagine for this eye pencil, like if you track like the shipping lines, you'd see all these lines going from here to there and just like this, uh, this immense web of yep. activity. And I think how different are we, you know, like that is a super complicated process yeah. and we're just, we just do it, you know, that's a good point. Um, I, I, and I think that we like that kind of like calls into the question free will again, you know, like how much of this, how, how, can we help it? You know, it's interesting. Uh, well, it's interesting for two reasons: picturing hu human beings as big fleshy bumblebees, mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> terrifying, really. And the second one is that uh, my solo podcast, which comes out on Wednesday. Yes, um, it talks a lot about instincts Ooh, and okay. trying to understand what that is, nice. and that's what you're talking about. You're talking about a bee who has never been taught how to do this complex thing and simply knows how to do it, and how is is a mystery. Yeah, it's a mystery. It is, uh, and I just. That mystery, a lot of, like I said, a lot of, a lot of humans lift that mystery off of us, but that mystery is still very much attached to us. Oh yeah. So that, that's, that's what that brought into my mind. Oh good. Well, listen, Kyle, I got one other quote. We're coming up on two hours, so I want to read it. Or do you want to read it? No, you read okay, it. Okay. Let me read the last quote. So Spinoza was actually an advocate of democracy. And I point that out only because in 1670 or 50 or whatever it was, um, it wasn't a popular thing. It was, it was kind of a new thing and it was getting ready to, it was getting ready to do things like provoke the French revolution and the revolution, all the revolutions, the revolutions that broke out in Europe and in, and in the Americas. But he said this, he said, in a democratic state, nobody transfers his natural right to another so completely that thereafter he is not to be consulted. He transfers it to the entire community of which he is a part in this way, all men remain equal as they were before in a state of nature. When he says as they were before, he means before there was a government ruling over them. Sure. Um, what do you think? What do you think about that? Um, well, it, we have to end on a note of me disagreeing with Spinoza again. All right. Because I am not a fan of democracy. I'm openly, I don't think democracy is good. I think that this... You know, like you remember when Trump was running and or the second time and they were like, he's attacking our democracy, blah, 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 blah. Um, that is that was definitely not the way to get to my heart no. on the, the matter, because I don't care about democracy. I think that um, democracy, 
people look at things like monarchy and communism and, you know, fascism, and they, they look at that and they're like, oh, that's bad. You know, that that's a right. bad way to do things. Yep. Um, because we've been conditioned to believe those things. Um, but we've also been conditioned to believe that democracy is good. Right. That there's democracy is going to take care of us because well, it's us. Well, we've been conditioned to believe that we exist in a democracy, which, yeah. which we don't. That's true. But even if we did it exist in a pure – I think I think if we existed in a pure democracy, that might actually be worse it, than what we've got going it, it on It would right 100% yeah. be worse. So I don't – I'm not a fan of democracy. We'll just put it that way. And he says in here um, he doesn't – transfer his his natural rights to another so completely uh, as not to be consulted, he transfers it to the majority of the entire community, which he is a part of. Um, One thing I disagree with, or that I at least question, if you vote the same way as a majority, are you really part of that majority? You know, like, yeah, you cast your vote the same way, but, like, when things get a little complicated and you come up to something, is the majority going to have your back because you voted with right. them? I don't think that they are. It's a good point. And that, I think that's tied to your criticism of democracy, which is legitimate. And, it, and just to say it explicitly, the reason why people say democracy is not, is not an effective system is because exactly what Kyle just read about um, about giving his natural rights to the majority mm-hmm. is that a, a democracy is not the rule of the people, even though that's what it means. It's the rule of the majority. Mm-hmm. The idea is if 51% of the people have one opinion, it doesn't matter what the four, other 49 believe in a democracy. That's why we don't exist in a democracy. That's why we have a complicated republic yep. with a Senate and a House that are, have a balance of powers. It's to avoid that problem. Yep. Um, and I think that Spinoza hadn't lived through the practical democracy enough to, sure, to know that that, that, that that was a fear that he might, that he might, he, he, he was naive. Yeah. Spinoza was naive. Yeah, it's a new idea. Well, it's a new idea in practice anyway, at yes. that point in time. Uh, so that's a great point. Um, I, the, uh, one of the other criticisms I have here is that he says in this way, all men remain equal as they were before in a state of nature, but are they all equal? Because what about the people in the minority? Are they equal to the people in the majority? Um, it's just, yeah. I mean, it kind of all harkens back to the same things, but, but I don't see, you know, take a, you know, okay, the um, the Japanese people who were interned in World War II, were they equal to the majority? That's I good. don't think yeah, so. That's good. Uh, democracy is garbage. That's my point. <laughs> well, listen, I think I think we could probably wrap it up with this statement because when he says that uh, that in a democratic state nobody transfers his natural right to another so completely that thereafter he, he he's not to be consulted. What he what he, he's talking about Thomas Hobbes right there because mm-hmm. Thomas Hobbes talked about natural rights and he published Leviathan in 1651, which is right before this. And he said that that's what a government is. It's people forfeiting their natural right to do whatever the fuck they can do because that whatever you can do, you can do. That's your right. Sure. He's saying we're, we're giving that up in exchange for peace and prosperity among a, a, a group that all agrees, all agrees to that. Yeah. That I'm, I'm going to say, hey, I won't kill you. I won't steal from you. So, and in exchange, we'll all live together in harmony. What he's saying is that when you, when you, um, when you give up your natural rights, your natural right to kill and murder and steal and rape, when you say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to agree to never do those things in order to have this, the protection of my community, let's say. He's saying that I'm never doing that permanently. I'm, mm. not, I'm not giving up my rights permanently. 
and I think that goes directly to the founding fathers in the Constitution that, that says, if the government ever becomes a tyranny, we reserve the right to rise up and take the power back. Yeah. And that's what he says. That's yep. what he's saying. Yep, that's true. Any, any closing remarks, Kyle, or are we good? Um, Donner, is there anything that we need to cover? As far as uh, housekeeping or anything like that with the podcast, you know? Well, you know what, Kyle? You did say something about coming up with a jingle, coming up with a tune for the beginning of our podcast, and I, we haven't seen that come to fruition. When's that coming? Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm not that good of a guitarist, so that's why that's not coming to fruition that much. Um, but we'll figure something out. I would like to have, although I don't know, I, do, do we need an intro, an intro song? I don't know. How about the listeners tell us? Do we need an intro? That's a great idea. You can find us... On Instagram at Two Tongues Pod, uh, my Instagram, my individual Instagram is at Angry Viking King. Uh, the best way to talk to me would probably be Twitter, and I'm also at Angry Viking King on there. So, so everybody, let Kyle know what you think. Let me know. Yeah, if anybody's anyone wants to help out with original music, let us know. Peace out. Thanks, guys. Love you guys.